All right, if you would open your Bibles now again to Philippians chapter 1, the passage Brother Dan just read for us. The title of the message this morning is The Believer's Rule of Life. I trust this will be comforting to your soul, will point you to Christ and find uh, very useful to your, to your hearts. I took my title from verse 27 where the apostle says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And that word conversation there means how you conduct yourself. What is our rule of life that, that uh, guides how it is we conduct ourselves in this life? What is the believer's rule of life? Well, the answer is the gospel of Christ. That's the answer. And I hope to spend the next few minutes showing you that from Scripture. I often tell Janet, I'll come out of the study. We talking about what I was doing there. I said, well, I've got an outline. I know what I want to say. What I want to say is this. The believer's rule of life is the gospel of Christ. And I tell her, now, if I can stretch it out about 35, 40 minutes, I got a message. <laughs> so let's see if we, we, can, we can do that. Number one is this. The believer's rule of life is to further the joy and faith in Christ of others. Verse 23, Paul says, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith your rejoicing may be, may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Now, it sounds like that the Spirit had given Paul some indication he's going to be set free from prison. Remember, Paul was writing this letter from prison in Rome. The Spirit must have given him some indication that he would be set free from prison and he would at least for a while be able to continue preaching Christ. And this was what Paul was thinking. If I'm going to be set free from prison, I'm not going to be put to death here, but I'm going to continue on in this life. My desire is to be able to get out of this prison and preach Christ. Preach Him so, so clearly in, in the power of the Spirit that others will believe Him. That others will be given faith in Christ. And that those who believe might be given more faith in Christ. That they might believe on Christ more fully. And that God's people would find their joy in Christ. I don't want just people just to believe this, uh, this doctrine that I preach. I want them to be happy to find their joy in Christ. That's what Paul's saying here. And we can all understand the, the apostle having that attitude, can't we? But you know, this attitude is for each of us. It's not just for a preacher, it's for every believer. And you might think, well, how can I help others have more faith in Christ? How can I help others have more, more joy in Christ? I understand, I see how a preacher can do that, you know, from the pulpit, but how can I do that? Well, here's how. It's by living the gospel. It's by acting like we believe. We really do believe what we say we believe. It's, it's by talking about the gospel with our brethren. I'll give you a few examples. The gospel that we believe and that we love declares a sovereign Savior, doesn't it? We know our God is sovereign. The Lord saves whom He will, when He will. This is what he said. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Wasn't that the very definition of sovereign mercy? 
God giving mercy is a free gift to, to whoever it pleases Him to give it to. We believe in a sovereign Savior. We believe in a sovereign God who rules over everything, every the most minute event, the, the big events and the most minute events in His creation, God rules over that. We believe that, don't we? Well, then make God's sovereignty the rule of your life. Talk about our sovereign God with each other. You know, we need to be reminded of this from time to time. Our God is in control of all things. As crazy as this world is, I mean, it's getting crazier by the day, isn't it? As crazy as this world is, brother, this thing's not off the rails. <laughs> this is not being a train wreck. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. God's trains are on right on schedule. Right on schedule because our God's sovereign. Something, something hadn't happened outside of His purpose. Something hadn't happened to derail God's purpose. God is doing whatever it is that He's doing, however it is that it's affecting our lives, to accomplish His purpose. It's true today, just like it was with the Apostle Paul and the, and the things that he was suffering and, and the way people were acting, the different preachers were acting when, when he was there in prison. Somehow this thing is going to work out to the furtherance of the gospel. The very same way it affected Paul in prison. God hadn't changed. He's still doing the same thing today. Somehow this thing is going to work out to the furtherance of the gospel. Somehow God's using this to save his people. Somehow God's using this to bring, it might just be one, but he's using this to bring one of his sheep to Christ. And he's using this thing to bring this creation to its ultimate end, to bring all of his people to glory. That's what God's doing. It's not one nanosecond off schedule because our God's in control of all things. Now don't just give mental agreement to this thing, the sovereignty of God, and then go out there in the world, you know, don't just believe it here in this room and go out in the world and act like God's not sovereign. Live your life trusting the Lord who does all things well. Our God does a lot of things I don't understand. But I know this, He's done it well. I know that. Live without excessive fear, without excessive worry about what's going on in this world. Give it its, its, its proper attention. You know, you know, we're all citizens of the United States of America. Give these issues your proper attention so you know how to vote, you know how to do those things. And then let them go. Don't give excessive worry and fear to these things. Why would we give excessive worry to something our God's going to take care of just exactly right? <laughs> I mean, have you ever thought about it that way? Why am I giving such excessive worry to something I know God's going to take care of just exactly right? And when you talk to other believers, your brethren, especially those who are in times of real trial, Paul is writing a letter here to, to believers who are in times of real trouble, real trial, being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. We talk to our brethren who are in times of trial. Don't just talk to them about the sovereignty of God. Say, well, you know, God's sovereign. It's, you know, God's done it to you because God's sovereign. Well, I know that. But when you say it that way, you make it sound like God does what he wills without any regard for his people. And that's not true. Talk about how our sovereign God does his sovereign will in his love for his people. In his love for his people. 
Hadn't our God proved He loves His people? He chose His people. He elected a people to save. They're an undeserving people. And the Father chose them anyway. I'm telling you, that's love. He proved His redeeming love when the, the Son of God gave Himself. He didn't just take money out of His wallet to pay the price. He gave Himself to pay the price for His people, to redeem them from their sins. That's love. The Spirit's proved His love in regenerating love. When He comes, it takes the preaching of the Gospel and gives life to a dead sinner. There's suddenly life where there wasn't there before. There's suddenly interest where there wasn't there, where it wasn't there before. And He dwells in the heart of that child of God. Dwells in their heart. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in your heart if you believe Christ. I'm t- that's condescending love, isn't it? Self-sacrificing love. God does that for His people because He loves them. Now talk about that love for, for God's people. God is sovereign in everything. Everything. And the one who's sovereign over everything is the one who loved you and gave Himself for you. He ain't quit loving you. He not suddenly started acting. You're not in this trial because God's suddenly acting hateful towards you. No, he's accomplishing his sovereign will. And when he is accomplishing his sovereign will in everything that he does, this is also true. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmity. He's touched with the feeling of the infirmity of his people in everything. Now live trusting the one who is sovereign, who cannot fail, and who loves you and gave himself for you. Let your conversation, let your conduct be that of a loving person. I believe God's sovereign and he loves his people. I promise you, if you do that, you'll further the joy of people around you. I promise you, you will. Next, the gospel declares a Savior who saves his people in sovereign mercy. God's mercy to his people is undeserved. God has not given his people what they deserve. Isn't that wonderful? We believe that. We love that. That's the doctrine that we preach. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching God's mercy to his people. That he did not give his people the punishment they deserve because he gave it to Christ our substitute. I'm telling you, it's the greatest display of mercy will ever be told. And our, our hope A hope of salvation. The only hope we have of being saved is God's mercy to his people. That's what we believe in. Well, make God's mercy your rule of life. Talk to each other about God's mercy. Especially to those who are in times of trouble. Sometimes it feels like God's beating us. Sometimes it feels, hmm, it hurts. Well, remind them. God hadn't run out of mercy. God's still merciful. He's not punishing you. He already punished Christ your Savior for your sin. He's not punishing you. Now he's teaching you. He he could be correcting you, but he's not punishing you. He sent us these trials to teach us something. To teach us more about him. To teach us to trust him more. to, To teach us to wait on him. Now wait on him. Wait on him. God hadn't changed. He's still merciful. He's still being merciful. Live trusting the Lord who's merciful to sinners. Let your conversation, let your conduct be that of a merciful person. 
Be merciful to others. Give them a break. Be merciful to others. Be easy to get along with. Don't be so harsh all the time. Be easy to get along with. I promise you if you'll do that, you're going to further the joy of those around you. I promise you you will. Next, the gospel declares this. The sin of God's people has been forgiven. It's been cleansed by the blood of Christ. You just can't make too much of the blood. The Father punished His Son fully for the sin of His people. And the blood of Christ's sacrifice has made it so that sin is gone. So that it does not exist. Because of the blood of Christ. Because His blood cleansed away all the sin of His people. Cleansed away all the stain of it. Every spot of it. The Father is just and He's right to forgive the sins of His people. Because the blood of Christ put it away. Now don't we love that? That doctrine, when we love preaching that and hearing that and thinking the, the blood of Christ. He shed His blood for me on purpose. Well, make the forgiveness of sin and the blood of Christ your rule of life. Talk to each other. Remind each other. This thing's sure. Oh, especially to those who are in trial. They need, need some encouragement. Remind them. Your body's hurting. Your mind's hurting. I mean, I know you're in trouble. But this thing of the salvation of our soul is certain. Because God's just. God's not doing something wrong. God's just. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because the blood of Christ put it away. I know this trial feels like God's cast you off, but He hasn't. He hasn't. That would be unjust. And God will never cast away the people which he foreknew. God will never cast away the people for whom Christ died. Never. Because that would be unjust. God's not going to cast you away. He's going to pull you up to his side. Live trusting the Lord whose blood put away the sin of his people. Let your conversation, let your conduct be that of a forgiving person. When somebody wrongs you, forgive them. Maybe they meant to. Maybe they meant to hurt you. Maybe they meant to wrong you. Just forgive them. Very likely with these people right here, maybe they didn't even mean to. Maybe they didn't mean to. Maybe they didn't even know it. Forgive them. Now I know that's hard to do. It's impossible for this flesh to do. What's our motivation to make this my rule of life? To be a forgiving person. What's my motivation for that? Because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. And this I can promise you. All my sin against Him is intentional. My sin against God is a whole lot worse than somebody's sin against me. That will at least motivate me to try. To be a forgiving person. Just be a forgiving person. Try your best to do it. If you do, I promise you this. It will further the joy of people around you. Then the gospel declares this. It declares the righteousness of God. And that what this, this gospel we preach declares. The righteousness of God. Who is the righteousness of God? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. That's why I preached Wednesday night. I tried to. Righteousness imputed. The righteousness of Christ given to us. 
God's people do not earn a righteousness by our obedience to the law or, or by our morality or by observing certain you know, religious ceremonies and things. Christ is our righteousness. The only righteousness we have is, is the obedience of Christ. As he was a man made under the law, he has perfect obedience under the law. That's the righteousness of his people. Just like we were made sinners in Adam, God's people are made righteous in Christ. And the Father gives his people the righteousness of Christ. Do you know why? Because he took the sin of his people away from them and he made his son sin for his people. He took it away. He gave it to his son and the blood of Christ put that sin away. He hath made him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made what? Righteous. The righteousness of God in him. Oh, that's the gospel. And a believer knows that and loves that. Oh, that just takes all the pressure off. I don't have to keep the law. I mean, I don't want to break the law. I don't want to, you know, be a vile, sinful person. Well, I don't have to keep the law to make God happy with me. That takes all the pressure off. I don't have to trust any works of my own. And I'm mighty glad about that. If we're truthful, we're ashamed of our works. I mean, ashamed of the very best things that we've done. We see how, how full of sin and self they are. Oh, to be able to trust Christ, our righteousness. To have His righteousness be given to me. Oh, it's thrilling, isn't it? What a thrill to preach that. I love to be able to preach that to God's people. I love to believe that. That God made me believe that. I'm so thankful. You believe that? You believe that Christ is your righteousness? then make that your rule of life. Talk to others about Christ our righteousness. Remind each other that Christ is our righteousness. And I tell you, here's how you can do that. It's one thing to say that, but here's how you can do it. Take the pressure off each other. Don't be judgmental. People do something you, 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 know, you, you disagree with. <gasps> you know, a believer would never do that. Oh, yes, they would do. I mean, you just read Scripture. A believer will do anything. Period. Except not believe Christ. <laughs> we'll do anything. Don't be judgmental. Don't put the burden on somebody. Now, you've got to act this way. You've got to dress this way. You've got to part your hair this way. Your hair can only be this long. Or ladies, your hair has got to be this long. Take the pressure off, people. Don't put the burden of the law on people. Don't have a standard that people got to live up to before you know, you'll put your seal of approval and say they're saved or whatever. Who cares if I think somebody's saved? Who cares if you think somebody's saved? It's a matter between them and God. Take the pressure off people. And all your brethren who are in times of trouble. Take the pressure off of them. Maybe they're... They feel like God's doing this to me because of my sin. If God was always putting us in trial, putting us just under in the fire of the furnace because of our sin, we'd never get out of it. Who knows why God's got purpose this trial for us, this pain for us? When you go to your brother who's in times of trouble, don't say now. Don't don't be like Job's friends. And say, well, if you weren't doing this, you know, you wouldn't be in this trouble. You know, straighten this up, or this straighten up this part of your life, and you won't be in this trouble anymore. Take the pressure off by reminding them, as sinful as we are, 
as sinful as you are, sinful as we are, Christ is our righteousness. We're perfect in Him before the Father. Now I promise you, if you were, if you remind people, God's people, that they're righteous in Christ, that they're perfect in Christ, that the Father accepts them in Christ, I promise you, it'll further their joy. If you don't put people under the burden of the law and you take them out from under the burden of the law by, by Tell them about Christ and his righteousness and his grace and his mercy. I promise you this. You'll further their faith in Christ. You'll give them a good reason to believe Christ. And you'll further their joy. Then the gospel declares this. Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to gather all of his people to himself to be with him where he is forever. Made just like him. This is not a pipe dream. This is not something, you know, it could happen. I I don't know. He can't fail to do it. He can't fail to gather all of his people to be with him because he is the successful, victorious Savior. He finished the work the Father gave him to do. That's why he can pray, Father, I will. That all those that thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory, that they may be one as we are one. The Savior's coming. Oh, what a day that'll be. What a day that will be to see the Savior as He is. Not through a glass darkly, but face to face. What a day to be not like this flesh, not like Adam anymore. And be made just like Christ. He's coming for His people. Make that your rule of life. Remind each other. When, when, we, when we get all caught up in the goings on of this world, remind each other, this is not all there is. I know this is not good right now. and You can't expect anything in this earth to be good. But very, very, very soon, we're going to be with the Lord. <laughs> that puts all this in perspective, doesn't it? All this is temporary. But life with Christ, that's eternal. I know we got to pass through this place, but remember, we're just passing through it. We're not staying here. We're going someplace far better. To be with someone far better. That's why the apostle said, I'm going to straight twix too. I have a desire to be with Christ, which is far better. We're going someplace far better. If you remind each other, now, this is not all there is. Let go of it easily. Christ is coming. We're going to be with Him. You know, it's interesting to me, the Scriptures, if they say it, it's not very often that Christ will come. You know the way Scripture says it? Christ is coming. He is coming. Make that your rule of life. Oh, you'll you'll make people around you so much happier. You'll, You'll make their joy in Christ increase. You see the difference? The gospel's our rule of life. False prophets, when they talk about a rule of life, buddy, you better buckle up and beware because they're getting ready to put you under the law. They're getting ready to put you under the burden of the law. They're getting ready to put you under the burden of some rules and regulations that they made up. And Peter knew about that. You know what he said? Men and brethren, neither we nor our fathers could bear that. We can't bear being under the burden of the law. 
So don't rule. Use the, the law to motivate people and, and give people constraints how they should live and what, how they should act and what they should do, what they shouldn't do. God's servant doesn't do that. God's servant motivates God's people to come to Christ, to believe Christ and keep believing Christ, to love one another by preaching the gospel. The gospel that God uses to save His people, to reveal Himself to His people for the very first time, make them believe on Christ and make them come to Christ is the very same gospel God uses to feed His sheep, to comfort their hearts, to instruct them in in the gospel. The gospel is for God's children. Now there's a difference between a child and a slave. A slave has got to be beaten. A slave has got to live under the threat of the whip in order to work. And what happens to, to that slave? They live under the threat of the whip. What does a slave do? The slave does the bare minimum he has to do in order to not get whipped. A child just has to be reminded your father's love for you. And that child will serve with everything they've got. You're going to have to tell them to quit. You're going to have to tell them to rest because they'll serve with everything they got out of love. Well, make that your rule of life. Live like a child of God who serves God out of love and thanksgiving, not a slave under the law that's afraid of getting whipped. And don't do that to others. Don't put others under the law. Talk to them about the love of God. Talk to them about the grace of God. Oh, how their joy will increase if they find themselves not under law but under grace. Hmm? Now listen, when, when Be loving, be gracious, be kind, but don't ever compromise. Don't don't surrender an inch. You know, saying you gotta love people doesn't mean, oh, well, you just love them no matter what they do and act like whatever they're doing is okay. No, no, it's not okay. Don't ever compromise the gospel. Don't ever compromise this matter of self-righteousness and false religion. Don't give in an inch to it. Set your feet on the line and don't back up. And do it in an attitude and a spirit of meekness. If God will enable us to do that, we will further the joy of people around us. Follow these things. Doing that, that's having the gospel as our rule of life. And here's something you can avoid doing as your rule of life. Remember, our goal is the furtherance of of faith and furtherance of joy in Christ and others. That's our goal. Let's not let our bad attitude and our bad conduct be the reason somebody stays away from the gospel that we preach and believe. Don't do that. Live showing some humility, showing some graciousness, showing some kindness that adorns the gospel of Christ. Somebody just might come here of Christ themselves, and maybe they'll believe them. And if they do, brother, it'll further their joy, won't it? So here's our rule of life. Point others to Christ. Live the gospel that we so so that people have their joy and faith in Christ increased. All right, number two. My other points aren't near that long. Our rule of life is striving together with one spirit and one goal. Verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit 
with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now we here, Hurricane Road Grace Church, we enjoy coming here and seeing each other, don't we? I pulled up in the parking lot this morning, saw Sean's truck. He'd been sick. I don't know if he'd be here this morning. I was so happy. I was so happy. Oh, Sean's here. That, you know, we're happy to see each other. And we should. People come in. We greet each other. It's happy to see each other. And we should. Let brotherly love continue. We should. We enjoy talking to each other and greeting each other. And I sure hope that, that, uh, that we find ways to help one another. Help outside of this building. Help one another and, and be an encouragement to one another. You Doing those things are important. But now listen. This is not a social club. This is the church of God. And our goal is preaching Christ to our generation. We're not trying to create ministries of the past. Our job is to preach Christ to our generation in our day. That is our one and only job. Now, if we can enjoy being with each other as, as we work together in this, this matter of preaching Christ to our generation, that's a blessing. That's the way it ought to be. But fellowship is not our goal. Our goal is preaching Christ. So sinners come to believe on him. So God's sheep are fed and encouraged and strengthened. And that's the responsibility of every believer here. Every believer. You know, there are lots of ways to serve in this ministry. And I tell you this so often. Whatever it is that the Lord's given you the ability to do, do it. Do it with all your might. And our goal in, in, in serving together and this with one goal, one spirit, one heart. It's not so that we get recognition for ourselves. You know, in most ways, it would be best if we could serve without anybody seeing us. Now, kind of hard to do if you lead singing. Kind of hard to do if you preach. You know, you're, you're, people are going to see you. If you go help somebody, well, they're going to know it. I mean, you come and help them, you know, they're going to know it. But, Oh, avoid this attitude, doing it to be recognized. So everybody will pat you on the back and say what a good Christian you are. You know, don't, don't serve to be seen because we're not in this thing for self-glory. We're in this thing for the glory of Christ. So God's people will be pointed to Christ. So God's people will be blessed. That's the sole purpose of this church body. So strive together with one goal. Not a bunch of different goals, not a bunch of different selves here. Christ is our goal. With one spirit, with one attitude, the spirit of love and unity and peace. I promise you this. If we're all looking to Christ and we're all striving together for His glory, not my glory, but His. Not my good, but yours. I promise you this. There's going to be peace. There'll, there'll be peace. There's just no time for fussing and fighting if we're all looking to Christ and all striving towards Him for His, for his goal, His purpose. And listen, put your back into this thing. This word strive is like a wrestler strives. Like he strives with all of his might and all of his strength. Strive hard and do it without fear of enemies of the gospel. Strive. Don't compromise now. Don't compromise on account of them. Look what Paul says in verse 28. And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You know, the world will say, well, you've got these enemies and you've got these trials and you've got these hardships because you're doing something wrong. 
you know, if you weren't, if you weren't uh, being so dogmatic about holding to the truth of Scripture, you know, people like you a lot more, and you wouldn't have all this trouble. Well, I know that's what the world says. What does the Word of God say? The Word of God says you're going to have enemies in trials because you preach the gospel. If you preach Christ, you're going to have enemies. If you preach man's free will, you won't have any enemies. <laughs> so the believe, believer's code of conduct is this. I'm just going to do whatever I can to help the preaching of Christ be heard. I mean, if it's making the building comfortable, if it's, I mean, just if it's preaching, if it's reading the scripture and leading in prayer, if it's leading the singing, if it's in the congregation, Sean don't want to sing solos all the time. I mean, sing out the top of your lungs and help him out. You know, just whatever, I mean, whatever it is, whatever it is, do it with all you got so that so that Christ can be heard, preached and heard in our generation, in this area, in this tri-state area, and do it without ever surrendering an inch. If we do that, no matter what, we're just going to keep preaching Christ. If we do that, faith in God's people will be furthered. And their joy will too. All right, here's the last thing. The believer's rule of life is stand fast in trials. It's easy to stand fast when nothing's wrong, isn't it? The believer's rule of life is this. Stand fast in trials. Verse 29. For unto you it's given. It's given in the behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Now I know it goes against the flesh to say, this has been given to you. You've been given the, the privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. The flesh doesn't like that. You know, we love to think about the blessing of being in faith in Christ, don't we? We love the, the blessing of, of, uh, of hearing the gospel of Christ, hearing of his sacrifice, hearing of his blood, hearing his mercy, his grace. Nothing throws my soul more than that. But we don't like pain and suffering, do we? That comes from real trials. But look at 1 Peter chapter 4. He's suffering for Christ's sake should make a believer happy. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice. Rejoice, insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. That when his glory should be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. God's spirit of, of, of glory is going to rest upon you when you're reproached for his sake. On their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. Now be happy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, be happy. Rejoice. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles rejoiced. Remember, they were beaten and, and let out of, out of prison and they said, now, we're going to beat you. Now, don't you be preaching the name of Christ anymore. And they went out and rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ, uh, for shame for his name. And you know what they did? They preached Christ everywhere they went. I mean, buddy, you just couldn't stop them. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Well, preachers, anything you can give me. I mean, the apostles, they must be different than me. 
Can you give me anything from the word of God that make me count it a blessing to suffer for Christ's sake? I can give you about three, three or four things. I want you to look at John chapter 15. Try to turn to these scriptures with me if you would. If not, jot them down. Go back and read them later. It's not uh, something I think I should quote to you. I want you to, want to read. Maybe this will, will sink in better. The Word of God gives us several ways and reasons we can consider it a blessing to suffer for Christ's sake. Now, just let me point this out. I'm not talking about suffering, the, the pain and troubles of sin that are common to all men. That's just the effects of sin in the flesh. What I'm talking about here is suffering for Christ's sake. I've suffered loss. I've suffered something because I've taken up my cross and followed in. I set my toes on that line. I'm not backing up. I'm not retreating for it. Well, here's the first thing. Suffering for Christ's sake is the evidence you're a servant of God. John 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant's not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. When you suffer for Christ's sake, that's the, that's the evidence. You're a servant of God. Now I can rejoice to be a servant of God, can't you? That's what we want. I now look at 2 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Romans, Romans chapter 8. Here's a reason that we can rejoice in our sufferings for Christ's sake. Because our suffering, as painful as it is in the moment, is nothing compared to the glory that's going to, get, that's going to follow. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon, and Paul doesn't use that word reckon like we use. You know, we use the word reckon. We mean, I guess, this is an accounting term. Paul's added up both sides of the ledger. He said, I've reckoned out, this is the, the equation I've reckoned out, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. Now the Lord sends us trouble for Christ's sake. It's going to hurt. I mean, you know, it's going to hurt. But as great as that hurt is, to think that's nothing compared to the glory that's coming. That's nothing compared to the eternal glory that there's going to be with Christ. That makes me rejoice, don't you? All right, now look at Philippians chapter 1. Our suffering could be the means that God uses to bring someone else to trust Christ. Philippians 1 verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Those people in the palace of, of Caesar never would have heard the gospel if Paul wasn't there. Paul's suffering worked out to the furtherance. Somebody believed Christ because Paul was there. And he said, I can, I can rejoice in this and suffer this patiently 
No one. This is God's using this to, to reveal Christ to his people. Then Hebrews chapter 13. This is a reason to rejoice. Suffering for Christ's sake brings us closer to the Savior. Every believer here wants to be closer to the Savior, don't you? Our sufferings bring us closer to Him. Hebrews 13, verse 13. Let us go forth, therefore, unto Him without the camp, bearing His reproach. If you're bearing His reproach, you're going to Him. You're going to be closer to the Savior. All right, here's the last thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You know, earlier in the message when I talked about uh, being a help one to another, every believer thought, I like to do that. I like to be a help to God's people, especially these people that I love, I worship with them every week. We're, we're one body. Every believer here thought, I'd like to be a help to God's people, didn't you? Our suffering for Christ's sake makes us able to do that. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Whatever it is that you suffer for Christ's sake, God will deliver you. And later on, somebody else is going to be going through the exact same thing. And you can come put your arm around them and tell them, I know. I know right where you are. I know. And you can talk to them about how God comforted you. And you can be a help to one of your brothers and one of your sisters. I can rejoice if God enabled me to help you. Couldn't you? That's our rule of life, that in all times, we're going to trust Christ. All right. I hope God will bless that to your hearts and his glory. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you that you've given us such clear instruction in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for faith to believe him, to see him, to cling to him, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be our all. And in all. And we thank you how simple that you made the believer's rule of life to live the gospel of Christ our Savior. Father, enable us to do that for your glory, for the help of our brothers and sisters. Oh, how we pray you would not let us be a stumbling block that would stop someone from coming to Christ or stop someone's joy that we have in Christ, but cause us to be a help and encouragement one to another. Give us one heart, one spirit, one goal that we might put our backs into this thing. In this blessed privilege that you've given us of preaching Christ to our generation. Father, I pray you'd make it effectual. That you'd cause it to reach the hearts of your people. Call them to faith and joy in Christ our Savior. For in his blessed name we pray and give thanks. Amen. All right, Sean.